Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, reporters, politicos, politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Man, that's a lot of peace. Here on a Minor Detail podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Good evening. On September 1st, we are back on a Minor Detail podcast. My name is Ryan Miner, and I am your host. Find me on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com, where you can find all of our latest episodes. And occasionally, you can find me, no, actually all the time, find me on the web at aminordetail.com. That's our flagship news station in Maryland. Tonight, I have a very special honor of having Baltimore County Councilman Izzy Pataka. And he's going to come on and talk about regionalism and just what's happening in Baltimore County. And I want to go ahead and welcome Councilman Pataka for the first time on a Minor Detail podcast. Councilman, I I assume that's you there, and I want to welcome you to the show. It is me, Ryan. Uh, How are you doing? I am doing well, and it's uh, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you, and I I always appreciate your. By the way, I want to tell you how efficient your staff is. Um, Lisa reached out to me, and she's fantastic. And I just really appreciate the communication back and forth. And I'm glad we could arrange this. I know tomorrow's a holiday, and people are either in town or a lot of people are out of town. But um, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, thanks so much, Ryan. Um, I'm really blessed to have an outstanding team. Uh, They've got great chemistry. My senior legislative aide is Justin Silberman, and you've been working with Lisa Belcastro. Uh, Other members of the team are Carlos Gonzalez and then Ashley Wallington. Those are the names that you'll hear affiliated with the 2nd District of Baltimore County. They're a great team. They have great chemistry. It's fun to come into work and interact with them every day. It makes having a great staff, an efficient staff, I'm sure it makes your job and the constituents' lives just that much better in District 2 in Baltimore County. And that's a great segue. I want to first introduce you, and I want to talk a little bit about your background before we go into the crux of our discussion. And then I want you to talk a little bit about the uh, the 2nd District, um, about its rich history, uh, what the community feeling and then we'll we'll then we'll then talk about um, some some issues on regionalism. So, if you could introduce yourself, give a um, give a, a brief background on um, your life and your professional career and your political career, and tell us then a little bit about the second district. Sure, I grew up in the second district. Um, I live in Sudbrook Park, which is a historic district uh, in Baltimore County. It's just a lovely neighborhood. I have a wonderful wife, Denise, and I'm an older dad. I have a a 17-year-old son, Rory, 
who goes to the Carver Center, and uh, they uh, they support me each and every day. And my background, I've really been working with communities my my entire life, Ryan. I um, I'm trained as a planner. I went uh, to Towson University and got a bachelor's degree in environmental planning. Uh, then I went on and got a master's degree also in environmental planning. And right out of school, I got a job with Baltimore City Planning and went to work as an entry-level planner. I worked my way up through the ranks until I became chief of capital budgeting for Baltimore City. And uh, then I got recruited by Baltimore County to come uh, to the county to be chief of capital budgeting for Baltimore County. Eight months into the job, they promoted me to deputy director of planning for Baltimore County. I did that for about five years, and then I got recruited back to the city. Uh, And prior to this time, I was was, – you know, uh, wor- I was working at the agency level, and then uh, when I got called back to the city, uh, it was more, it's kind of when I got uh, the political bug. I, um, the mayor of Baltimore called me and, and asked me to join him in the mayor's office and uh, create a new office called the Mayor's Office of Neighborhoods. And uh, we created an outstanding team. Uh, that team Gosh, uh, when I think back, we went to uh, 4,272 community meetings uh, during the time that I worked there. Um, Then I moved on to the governor's office, and in the governor's office, I held two positions. One uh, was I was the uh, executive director of the governor's office of community initiatives, and also I was the governor's intergovernmental affairs director. So in that capacity, I was the governor's chief liaison to the 157 mayors of Maryland and the 23 uh, county executives, whether they were executive, county council, or uh, board of county commissioners. So I was the governor's uh, go-to person uh, interacting with the 24 jurisdictions in Maryland. Uh, When I left the governor's office, I went to work at LifeBridge Health as the director of community development and so at LifeBridge Health, my role was to strengthen neighborhoods in our four campus locations in Baltimore City, Baltimore County, and we also had a campus location in Carroll County. And then, uh, you know, over the years, in working with the community, people have always said, Izzy, you should run for office someday. And so that someday came, and uh, I ran for second district council. And we did really well in the primary, and then uh, we did really well again uh, in the uh, in the general election. And so here I am, second district councilman, uh, working with a great team. And uh, we're nine months into the job, and uh, now I'm lucky enough to be speaking to you, Ryan, tonight. Mm-hmm. Well, Councilman Patoka, I really appreciate all of that vast experience, especially with local government. And I I have a special place in my heart for the MML for uh, for Mako. In fact, sure. I was at I was down in Ocean City for the annual Mako conference, and I don't know if you had a chance to attend this year, but it was another fantastic opportunity for local officials from all over the state to collaborate on specific topics of budget issues, of public safety, of fire and EMS from the Kerwin Commission. I think that uh, MML, especially Scott Hancock. Those guys are really, truly uh, the unsung heroes of 
our political system in Maryland because they make it all happen. They are giving these local communities the tools and resources to be successful, sustainable, and to balance their budgets and to train their members of their council to be effective leaders. And I, I have a lot of respect for these organizations, and I think they do tremendous good. And what's most sometimes unfortunate is that a lot of people in the state of Maryland really don't even know that they exist. So um, It's a very good point. Uh, I know Scott Hancock well. I've worked with him for years, and also Candace Donahue uh, at MML. And they do a great job in working with the larger municipalities and also with, you know, with there's some municipalities that are less than a thousand. I think Maryland has five. Actually, there's a trivia question. I'm not sure I remember the answer, but there's five municipalities uh, in, uh, in Maryland that have less than a hundred residents. I think Port Tobacco comes to mind. It has, I think, 19 people and a mayor and town council. So, one third of the population um, is going to be an elected official when uh, <laughs> when you're a small town. Um, but then, you know, there are four uh, four towns that are around sixty thousand, um, second to you know, and they all fall in a close second to Baltimore, which is uh, you know in the low six hundred thousand. So, um, it's a it's an important job. Uh, that MAKO does, I mean, that MML does, and also MAKO, I was down at the conference, uh, went to some uh, terrific sessions down there. Uh, one that was really interesting to me was related um, to uh, water revenue authorities um, or metropolitan uh, water and sewage authorities. Uh, it was hosted by the WSSC, and it's an uh, interest of mine. So, uh, and there were a number of other sessions that I thought uh, were very helpful. And for me, it, I went there uh, with a different perspective than I've, I've done in, that I've, than I've visited in the past. In the past, I was uh, staffing a governor and uh, went to sessions that uh, were had statewide uh, implications and. This time around, it was I was going as a council member, as an elected official, rather than being the sidekick of an elected official. So it was a different perspective. Uh, I want to be a strong council member, so I thought going to the sessions would make me um, a better council member and uh, better able to serve the constituents of the second district. Well, speaking of the second district, I I have a personal connection to the district itself. In fact, my wife, she is born and she was born and raised in Reisterstown. Her parents lived there, um, but until uh, three or four years ago, and, and they uh, sold their house in Reisterstown that they purchased first back in the 70s. My uh, my 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 late father-in-law um, worked for a guy named Larry Mack, uh, Larry Max, and he worked for a construction company there for uh, for many years, um, based in uh, Owens Mills. And I personally spent quite some time in my professional career over in uh, Pikesville working with uh, some Holocaust survivors through our company, setting them up with medical alert systems through a organization called the Blue Card. And uh, we, we, I, I've, I love Reisterstown. It feels like a second home to me. In fact, my wife and I had one of our very first dates at a place called the Harriman House. Oh, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, we have, um, you know, our, our family. Well, you know where to take a woman because that's a nice place to go. So uh, <laughs> that's a good date. <laughs> well, maybe that got her. So maybe that that, yeah. that hooked her in. But uh, I, I really, I love the culture. I love the history of Pikesville. Um, in fact, one of my favorite little diners is in Pikesville, um, the Al Pacino Diner. I'm sure you've been there many times. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a really diverse interesting cultural community and i'm sure for you being the first time elected official being elected in 2018 to the second district i'm sure it's an honor for you to represent that district and i remember going i was i was there during the last election i was there during election time and your signs were everywhere all over the place and it was uh and i was thinking well you know and i remember researching you and your background and thinking wow okay um got a lot of history uh, with the community he's been here for uh, all of his life so and i'm sure that helps especially because people know you and they they feel a connection to their councilmen and local government is it's very different from someone say serving in congress where i don't want to say they're detached rather but you have a more one-on-one connection with your constituents sure and we did have a lot of supporters and and that was reflected in the amount of signage we had i would like to say that uh, with every sign that that you saw in the second district, uh, what, there was a door knock and there was also an affirmation from the homeowner. So we were 100% clean with our signs. Uh, so it made me feel really good that because um, sometimes uh, in politics you can um, get um, overzealous volunteers that are putting signs where they shouldn't be. But uh, we were we were. Um, very clear with our volunteers uh, that our signs all had to be uh, permitted by the property owner. But uh, I would like to share a couple of thoughts with you uh, about the second district and about Reisterstown and some of the things you mentioned. So uh, the second district is, is bigger than you think. It goes from the city line all the way to Shawan road. Uh, that's the North and Southern boundaries on the West. Uh, it borders at around Old Court and Winans, and then goes all the way to Charles Street on the east. Uh, so geographically, it's a pretty significant um, amount of area, and uh, there's 120,000 people that live in the second district. So it's I think it has a larger population than South Bend, uh, which we have uh, you know the mayor there running for president. So uh, I. I respect and uh, don't take for granted the uh, enormity of the and uh, the enormity of the position and and what we need to do uh, to uh, make the second district as uh, the beautiful second district as strong as it can be. And you mentioned a couple of really terrific areas in in uh, the second district. You mentioned Reisterstown, and let me just say that. Uh, Next weekend, next Saturday, uh, is the Reisterstown Parade and the Reisterstown Festival, and uh, we're we're going to have uh, a group uh, marching in that festival. Ryan, if you're interested in walking with us, uh, um, I'm giving you an open invitation. You can meet us there at eight in the morning next Saturday at uh, at the Weisses in uh, in Reisterstown, and you're welcome to march with us. And I'll, I'm happy to give you a Vote Izzy T-shirt as well. <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate in, that. Uh, in, uh we think teal is a cool color, and uh, so we brought it back. 
It stands out. It certainly stands out. <laughs> and let me just also say uh, thank you for the work you've done with uh, with Holocaust survivors in Pikesville. One thing you won't read in my bio, but it, it really has shaped me into the person that I am today, is that my parents were both Holocaust survivors. And uh, to me, um, you know, I feel like I have an obligation to share their story um, with my son so that, you know, their generation is growing smaller and smaller, and my parents are now gone. So I think each uh, each child of Holocaust survivors has an obligation to to pass the stories on. We heard them firsthand, and, you know, my son has heard it secondhand, and I hope someday he, he will share the story of his grandparents um, and he not only will have that, but it's also uh, documented in the in the Holocaust Museum in Washington and in uh, in Jerusalem. And so, I just want to thank you because it's personal to me that you worked to improve the quality of lives of um, a generation of uh, people that were close to me that went through something that is unimaginable uh, for us today. And well, hopefully, it will I... never be repeated. And it was an honor and a privilege as a I was working for a company in Rockville based and we were a uh, it was it's veteran owned and operated. And so we had a contract with an organization called the Blue Card. And it's a uh, it's a Holocaust survivor uh, organ. It's a nonprofit that provides financial assistance to destitute Holocaust survivors residing in the United States, and of course, there is a huge population in the state of Maryland, from Rockville to Silver Spring, uh, even in Gaithersburg, uh, and especially in the Pikesville area. So I spent many days uh, working with the survivors inside of uh, Pikesville. Um, I, I met hundreds, and uh, every time we sat down, and many of them spoke, uh, they spoke a lot of Russian, um, and yes. so I worked through a translator who came along with me and we were able to set them up with medical alert equipment so that would make their, you know, in case they would fall or hurt themselves in any way, they would press a single button and their call would be transferred to a 24 hour, um, seven day a week monitoring center. But I just, I just remember my, my grandfather who's 94 is a world war II veteran. And so I, I heard it firsthand from him when he was in Germany and yeah. saw the camps and th it made it all the more personal. Every time I had the opportunity to sit down and have a, a long conversation about their lives where you would sit in front of them and just and listen to their stories. And sometimes it was very difficult for, for, for survivors to tell those stories. But just holding their hand and hearing a 91-year-old man look me in the eye with, uh, with tears to say, uh, you know, without this country, I don't know where I would be. And without people like my grandfather, he would not have made it. And his many of the survivors' families were killed, and they escaped into uh, into freedom in the United States. And it's just it those though, that moment of my life, those five or six months that I was working this project, Councilman, I have to tell you, they were the most impactful moments of my life. And it's so important that my generation. I'm 33 years old. We can never forget what happened. We can never yeah, ignore no it. Question. We can never forget it. And we have to tell the story. Everybody has a story. As I'm sure your late parents, those stories matter 
so much to our culture now. So we don't, and I hate to say this, so we don't repeat that history. And, uh, but I, I'm sure it's an honor to represent so many of those survivors in the second. Sure. And we, we met some, uh, on the campaign trail. And for me, uh, I always enjoyed it because I miss, you know, I miss the accent, the accent of my parents, the accent that I grew up with. And, uh, so Were they, uh, Russian? It, they, um, they both lived. They lived about ten kilometers from each other on an area that's now the Ukraine, but okay. was over history either Poland or Russia, depending on uh, which century you were in. Uh, and now it's part of the Ukraine. Uh, but you know, times were different then. They they lived yeah. you know ten kilometers from each other, but didn't really know each other. They met each other as um, teenagers in a displaced persons camp because uh, wow. their families were were gone. So. And then they came here, started a new life in Baltimore. It's the American and, uh, story. I mean, it is even I'm even sorry, through guys. some of those, even through some of those most horrific moments in our in our in, in our world history, uh, stories like yours are where where they can go on to America and to enjoy a life of of hopefully peace and then freedom and the ability to do anything. And that speaks to, you know, I know we often focus on some of the negatives in our country, but there's a whole lot of positives that what this country is not just a place to live, but it's an idea. And it's an idea that we have to maintain or else we could lose it. And that's, um, and it's partially why the reason what I do what I do to, to have these important big conversations. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's the, like you say, it's, uh, it's an American story. It's the American dream. Uh, we're a country of immigrants, and uh, you know, when I was on the campaign trail, people would ask me, um, you know, what my view of immigration policy ought to be. And you know, as the son of Holocaust survivors, I've always, to me, it's ingrained in me, it's in my DNA to be sympathetic to the immigrant and understand uh, that plight that immigrants face, especially in in today's world. So before we get into um, our main topic, I want to say one more thing is that you also have a connection with my wife in that she, too, is a proud graduate of Towson University. All right. So, yes. So Towson we are is big- an outstanding school, um, and uh, Kim Schatzel, Dr. Schatzel, is doing a great job uh, yeah. at uh, really bringing out the best of that university. So tell me, in, in as we kick this off, tell me – you were on you were on the C4 show on May 8th of this year with um a, um councilman uh Yitzi Schleitzer from Baltimore City and you talked to you talked with C4 about some regional efforts and you mentioned regionalism you mentioned some cleanup efforts and some community based and community driven conversations and I thought it was an important segue into our conversation Councilman, explain what regionalism means and with respect to Baltimore County and Baltimore City, and tell me some of the efforts that you are invested in, what your staff is invested in, and working within that political dichotomy. Sure. Great question. And so let me just say, uh, Councilman Schleifer and I have been friends for many years, so it it's very helpful. It's easy for us to work together. That friendship makes it uh, very helpful. And uh, for both of us, we understand 
that are we have we we both serve like communities the demographics are very similar and uh the issues that are important uh to his district are important to my district and uh and vice versa um issues um our issues are important to both of us and so um we shortly after um i was um installed into office we were talking about working together and so we uh initiated a, a joint cleanup of uh, a stream that lo- runs along the city county line and we had almost 100 volunteers and Ryan I've vo- I've uh, and both from um the volunteers came from nearby that stream and they came from residents of the 5th district of Baltimore city and residents of the second district of Baltimore County that weren't really close, but they wanted to uh, help our planet. And there's no better way to help our planet than clean up a stream. And uh, it was a very diverse group. And I've done many, many stream cleanups. And rarely do you see 100 people, 100 volunteers show up for a stream cleanup. If you get 20, that's a great number. Um, and so it was it was a great day for the region. It was a great day for Maryland to have a hundred people show up to clean us to clean a stream, and uh, the before and act after pictures were dramatic. And so Councilman Schleifer and I thought, let's keep this up. So we did the stream cleanup. Then we had a regional town hall meeting uh, right on the city county line, and uh, gosh, a couple of hundred people showed up for that. Um, and it was uh, County Executive Olszewski, Johnny O, showed up as well. Um, and it was it was really um, it was it just was great to have both jurisdictions neighbors working together because we forget that while these unnatural lines separate us they're like property lines but we are in fact neighbors and we've got to get along and we've got to make the neighborhood stronger and as we make this neighborhood we call uh, the Baltimore metropolitan area or the state of Maryland stronger, we're as strong as our weakest neighborhood or our weakest jurisdiction or our weakest council district. And so we want all of them to be strong. And so uh, he and I, we're going uh, to hold a regional town hall uh, meeting on public safety. We're doing a little bit of that ahead of time. We're doing some joint work right now as we approach the uh, – the high holy days of the Jewish faith. Uh, we're looking at, we're working with uh, both uh, the police command staff in Baltimore City and in Baltimore County uh, on how to best make sure that we're all safe. Uh, you know, we live in a world uh, that um, sometimes some really unfortunate things happen, and uh, so we want to make sure that 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 we're safe as a community, and so that requires us to work together both in Baltimore City and Baltimore County as we sh- and not that we're required to do so we should just do it as good neighbors and uh so that's kind of a more localized initiative but we'll do something more broad on public safety down the road we've been talking about that um so for the second district and our, there's a our, um like I mentioned earlier uh the districts we serve are abut each other and so it's easy for us to work together and we'll be doing more and more of that um also 
And, uh, you know, I've been public on this in terms of um, how we um, just treat water and sewer in the region. I think we need to be thinking more regional along those uh, in terms of that service delivery than we have in the past. People in the the metro Baltimore area, of course, mostly associate Baltimore County and Baltimore City as one. And you even said it, that there are these – look, there's these imaginary property lines I know that are dividing the the jurisdictions. But really, much of what your district and other districts in Baltimore City do that are adjacent to one another – you face the same issues, and it's maybe there's a you know there's a political philosophy even of and an ideology almost of working with other regions and combining efforts to address big ticket items like public safety, like economic issues, like environmental issues, having a a stream cleanup. And I'm interested to learn. When you you had a regional town hall meeting on May the 13th, and you said a couple of hundred people showed up, I assume that there was a – I did not attend that, um, but was there a, a an open session? Was there an open – almost like an open mic of sorts where you could interact directly with community residents who had questions? What was, what was on their minds at that town hall meeting? Well, I'll tell you. Um, so – Typically at town hall meetings, you know, the majority of issues are going to be constituent service oriented. And so we had, we, it was an open mic format. In fact, it was, I think it was two open mics, as I recall. Um, And so the majority of issues were related to constituent services. And both he and I are, you know, that's our sweet spot uh, for his team and for my team. And so we and and we track ours, uh, and I believe Councilman Schleifer does as well. But I'll I'll speak to what we do. Um, you know, we we track on a monthly basis how we're doing on constituent services, and we month to month it ranges between 94, 93 percent. Um, we resolve about 94, 93 percent constituent services. We have about four or five percent that are ongoing that we need a little bit more work on and then there's one or two percent that are really intractable that you know we can't fix everything we do the best that we can and both his team and my team are just um you know they live and breathe for constituent service uh we call it's kind of funny when we were on campaign uh my uh, senior legislative aide uh he and i were we talked and spent a lot of time together and on the campaign trail, and I said, you know, if we win this thing, we need to find a constituent services beast. And uh, <laughs> and then it turns out that Justin Silberman ended up, who is my senior legislative aide now, he ended up being that beast. Uh, he loves it, and uh, he does a great job at resolving constituent services. And I think that uh, anyone that calls our office uh, will um, – will share the same thoughts that I, you know, that I have and that the rest of the team has uh, with Justin's work and with the others, Lisa, Ashley, and Carlos. Um, so yeah. the, that's the majority of what you get. Uh, we also, uh, public safety is, is top on Councilman Schleifer's agenda. It's top of my agenda. And um, 
because we are at the on because there's the city county line, uh, it creates some opportunity for some of uh, some of the bad guys that want to rob some of the convenience stores, and there's a number of convenience stores there. So, we work closely with our Pikesville Police Community, our Pikesville Precinct, uh, and the Towson Precinct, which border the city county line. And on the city side, he has Northwestern District and Northern District. So, the we work closely together as council members, the command staff of those four police um, precincts work closely together and uh in baltimore county we have very strong uh police uh, community relations councils uh and so for uh the pikesville precinct uh jerry d'antoni is the president and we work well with uh um with captain rogers and lieutenant Decara in the pikesville precinct especially on those um kind of Crimes. I would say describe them as crimes of opportunity because they're, uh, you know, they're in between the city county line and and the the, the captain and lieutenant work uh, closely with their counterparts on the city side. So we're in constant communication, um, and uh, in you know in in trying to you know crime. I, I don't believe that crime. Um, just drops randomly you need it needs to be driven down and it needs to be driven down uh uh by strategic uh law enforcement initiatives i wanted to ask you about public safety and law enforcement we often hear the term community policing that term really was born um in out of several issues and we heard it more often back in 2015 during the freddie gray situation in fact I don't, I don't know if you've caught it, but on HBO, they just released a documentary about Baltimore City. They focused on the Baltimore City riots and community policing. I think it was Baltimore Uprising. Uh, my wife and I watched it um, a few evenings ago, and it was, it was really passionate. It was, it was a good narrative to discuss between uh, especially, members, especially members of the community, African Americans, and the relationship with the police and what they need to do to really work together to ensure that the community first and foremost is safe. And we know that that's really the nuts and bolts of local government. And as a county councilman, you are working with police, with county, with constituents in the county to come up with solutions to make everybody feel safe, but also feel safe to report crimes, to go to the police and to build that trust. And what is your theory on on, on your policing model in Baltimore County and even uh, to the regional aspect of uh, Baltimore City. What do you think, Councilman? Well, I think uh, one of the best things uh, that uh, can strengthen the community is to have everybody participating in making the community stronger. That's uh, community leadership. That's um, police representatives from law enforcement, um, and you know nowadays everybody has a camera uh you know with their cell phone and sure. we are seeing more and more um events of somebody not doing their job properly and i don't think that's a reflection on you know everybody in that profession so if you're a law enforcement officer if someone in in another jurisdiction didn't perform their job well. I don't think that reflects on every police officer in Baltimore County or Baltimore City. 
I think in every profession you have uh, people that perform their job well and people that don't perform their job as well. But I think it's really important to have uh, strong relationships uh, with community, with all the law enforcement entities, uh, and I think we all need to to work towards that. Um, uh, and public safety comes in a lot of different fashions. Uh, we struggle quite a bit with pedestrian safety in the second district. Mm-hmm. So we, I don't know if you've seen any of our pedestrian safety initiatives. We have what I we have. call a speed awareness uh, initiative that we do. And uh, we go, we have hot spots that communities call in and say, um, you know, we've got a lot of speeding uh, at this uh, intersection. And so we'll put it in the queue. Uh, we try to do two weeks in a row at an intersection, and then we'll move on to the next and uh, we're not trying, to, you know, right, we do have the police department working on it. We have our uh, our transportation um, bureau. We need to have a transportation department because we're a big county. But we, you know, in my opinion, uh, in terms of transportation, if we don't have a transportation department, we're going to be a minor league county in transportation uh, in the in our transportation initiatives. Uh, so that's something that uh, I think the county executive has mentioned. I support that uh, because we're not a minor league county. We're a major league county, and our agencies uh, need to reflect uh, the county that we have today uh, um, with a trajectory towards 900,000 residents. Um, but the speed awareness initiative, um, I got a little bit off track. The reason we do it is because the demand is much higher than the supply. You know, the police are doing their work in trying to slow down traffic. Traffic engineers are doing their job. But this, but uh, still, with everybody doing the best that they can, uh, I will say that, you know, we've been doing this every week. And uh, we Baltimoreans, we have heavy foots and heavy feet. And uh, that accelerator needs to be just pressed very gently and uh it's not that hard to to uh to drive the speed limit especially around schools and so that's what we've been targeting we want to keep our children safe uh, i always say when you're driving uh pretend that there's a an egg under that accelerator and you don't want to you don't want to break the egg you want it to uh stay whole as you press that accelerator and you know nowadays there's lots and lots of distractions um, and so when you're driving around schools, and like I said, we've been targeting schools, we mm. want to have the best pedestrian safety that we can. So the reason I bring it up is because uh, pedestrian safety, uh, to me, is part of is an, an important part of public safety. As I was say, Councilman, you take a very hands-on approach. In fact, I've seen your Facebook page where you're holding signs to tell people literally to slow down. And that – look, I – I have to be very careful of my speed, and I have to be cognizant, and my wife will rap me if I am driving <laughs> too fast, and, and it's true. And, you know, the other big problem, of course, that we all have, and look, I, I will admit that I am guilty. Um, I have been guilty of this, but when I'm in the car, um, I, you know, for the past, I'd say, several months, I have simply just put my phone on a um, – I guess it's a uh, – uh, I have an app that disallows me from using my phone anytime when it notices that I am in motion. So I do not commit a cardinal driving sin, a public safety sin of texting while driving. It is a problem. And look, my son, 
who's going to turn 16 in um, in, in December, um, it concerns me too because he's going to soon sure. be behind the wheel. He's going to take driver's ed in, in a couple of months here. And that is a, a huge problem is distracted driving. And so it looks like you've taken a, a real front and center approach. You've got out in front of this. And what's the feedback that you're getting? I'm sure c- constituents say, hey, we saw you on the corner holding this sign to tell people to slow down. Do you get some good feedback or any, any negative the feedback? The feedback is really terrific, Ryan. We get a, a lots of people um, giving us the thumbs up. Uh, lots of people uh, wave. Uh, now, there's a few people that, you know, they, they have a finger up, but it's not their thumb. I'll just say that. <laughs> Um, but yeah. there's a great collateral benefit, and what I mean by that is we let people know where we're going to be, and lots of people show up to talk to their council member. And so it's a great opportunity to kind of just chit-chat with your council, ma- with your council member. Um, and it, to me, it's really important because when we get, uh, you know, six or seven people just chit-chatting about issues in the neighborhood, the block, it may not be the same folks that go to community meetings or that you see at a PTA meeting. And so it allows us just another avenue of communication with our constituency. So, and I really enjoy it because, you know, it's just good. It's good to understand the sentiment uh, of the neighborhood. And uh, we really have great conversations while we're trying to slow down traffic. So it's, um, it's really, it's, it's worked out better than I ever imagined it would. I actually borrowed the idea. If you ever go to Ocean City, um, if you're taking 50 uh, on the Eastern Shore, oh yeah, just before you get to Trap, Maryland, there is a um, a speed awareness initiative where they have rip uh, um, lots of signage and lots of flashing lights and lots of uh, speed awareness um, uh, caution signals. And when I worked in the governor's office, I was with, uh, I think it was a circuit rider attorney for a couple of Eastern Shore towns. And uh, I asked her, you know, what the speed awareness initiative was. And she said, really nothing. We don't issue any citations or anything, but it does slow down traffic and it gets people just to remind them that they're, they're what the speed limit is and that they may be driving over the speed limit. So I borrowed that idea. Um, and scaled it down to uh, a district size, and and uh, that's what we've been doing. It's good, you know. It's great to take. Ba- that's what circling back to the beginning of our discussion uh, for Mako and MM uh, Mako, the Maryland Association of Counties. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to uh, Michael Sanderson, who uh, heads up that organization. Also, um, has a great podcast. I want to mention they have. Uh, they have a Conduit Street Punk, and it's, it's, it's yes, excellent to listen to. So I'd encourage anybody who is interested also in listening to podcasts, which please listen, uh, uh, they, they have one of the best in Maryland. They do. And uh, so and if for an elected official, it's great to kind of learn best practices from what, they're, you know, what may work in the 2nd District of Baltimore County that they're doing in Montgomery County. I talked to my friend Sidney Katz, who's actually – a councilman in Montgomery County spent a lot of he's time. He's my with city him. councilman. Oh, so yeah, so you know, he's my uh, county councilman. Yeah, he's my neighbor. Uh, count- actually, he lives. We live almost virtually in the same neighborhood. And Mayor John Ashman lives about one block away from me. Um, so I could throw a stone. Oh, so you're from in my Gaithersburg. Th- 
Yeah, I live in the city of Gaithersburg, and the mayor. Um, if if I if I could get my arm in shape, um, I could probably throw a rock and hit his backyard. Wow. Well, that's why I called. Uh, I mistakenly called Sidney Katz uh, city councilman because he used to be the mayor of that's the right. city of of Gaithersburg or the town of Gaithersburg. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he's a terrific guy. And we were, you know, we spent, we spent a lot of time talking about what works in Montgomery County, what might work in Baltimore County. And so going to these conferences, uh, is really helpful in that respect. And, uh, I'm also, um, the county council's representative to the legislative committee, uh, for the Maryland Association of Counties. And uh, so I spend a lot of I spend one day a week in Annapolis during session uh, representing the county council, and it uh, works out really well because uh, I've had, as I mentioned, I have a lot of experience working at the state level. So being able to um, finesse that with what I do at the at the county level works out really well. Councilman, this is a good opportunity. I want to talk about. Um, about three other issues in the time that we have sure. left. But before I do that, uh, I want to talk to you about education, another big issue, housing sure. affordability, and zoning and your background in planning. This will be a perfect segue. I want to plug, however, that um, one of our affiliate organizations, an organization that I work um, with hand-in-hand, in fact, I worked with them during the Annapolis session this past session, Center Maryland, they are they're hosting an event on Tuesday, September the 10th from 12 p.m. until 3 p.m. It's an educational equity and housing affordability conference, seminar, symposium, and it, they're going to speak with the 10th Secretary of Education under President Obama, and they're going to talk to Dr. Alvin Hathaway, who is a senior uh, – oh, I or know rather Dr. A, Hathaway. Yeah, and so they're going to talk – they're going to have a frank discussion – about uh, equity, affordability, and they're going to provide a box lunch. And this is going to be at the meeting house on 5885 Robert Oliver Place in Columbia, Maryland. So it's a building equity conference about education and affordable housing. So if anybody's listening, they might want to check this event out. And I believe it's um, – I don't know if there's any cost. It's $20 to, to register, so a pretty fair price there. Um Councilman, we hear a lot, of course, about education. That's a big topic for every local government. Sure. I would go, I would go fo- so far as to say that during the MACO conference, during especially wrapping it up on that Saturday morning, traditionally the governor makes a speech. They introduce a big prior, a legislative priority. And this year the current commission was was the most chatter that was discussed. That was really – the Kerwin Commission's educational recommendations, that was a buzz during this conference. And Yes, it the, was. <laughs> the basic question was is how much will local governments be saddled with the cost of these $3.8 billion recommendations? And county officials rightfully had to question how are we going to come up with this money? How are we going to raise the revenue? What is going to be our – our responsibility in this funding. How how are we going to sell this to our constituents in Baltimore? Baltimore County. Look, they've had several issues with the school system, with uh, with especially with upgrading schools, sweltering heat. In fact, the article 
was written on August 14th by the Baltimore Sun about schools being unair conditioned. There's a lot of money invested in our school system, but we always seem to need more. Kerwin was a huge issue. I would say one of the top three issues that came out of this past legislative session. So in Baltimore County, representing some of these school districts as a county councilman, what are you hearing on the street? What are your thoughts about how we would raise this money to pay for these recommendations? And really, how important is that? Well, I will say that uh, for me, there's no better investment than you can make uh, than trying to support our um, educational needs for, the ch- for our children. You know, a wise man once told me that uh, the most, the easiest decisions that an elected official will be asked to make are those that benefit the minority of the present. And the most difficult decisions an elected official will be asked to make are those that benefit the majority of the future. And so when I think about investing in schools, I think about that very difficult choice in investing in the majority of the future, my children, my children's children, and beyond. And right now, localizing that into the second district, um, you know, I've got my eye on the $24 million that Baltimore County put up for Summit Park Elementary School because right. there are 10 trailers, not learn, but they're called learning cottages, but in my view, they're trailers. Uh, not, you know, not two trailers, there's 10 trailers. And I don't think that's a conducive learning environment for elementary school children. And then we also have Bedford Elementary, and uh, that does not have air conditioning. And so the county also put up in the current budget year, I think uh, around $24 million, 23 or $24 million. And um, I think uh, last year in the legislative session, the Build to Learn Act passed overwhelmingly, I believe, 133 to 3 in the House, and the Senate failed to act on that bill. So there was an opportunity to take action on addressing the needs of the children of the 2nd District and of Baltimore County. And so I am really disappointed that the Senate chose inaction rather than action. Because we all, when we do these kinds of jobs, we have a choice. We can act or we can decide on inaction. You know, what in the work we do, we always choose action. That's why we're out on the street. So, you know, that's why we're out in the community and working with in a very hands-on way because we always uh, choose action as our method. And so I believe that these are difficult choices, and uh, Baltimore County has made some choices, especially as it relates to the 2nd District. We've got high schools um, that are not, I would say, Towson and Delaney, uh, while they're not physically in the 2nd District, they uh, families – uh, from the second district will send their children uh, to those schools, so they're very important to me. And Lansdowne is just crumbling, and as a society, yeah. we have to address that. Because, you know, we are a society, so we can't localize everything. We have to we have to live as a civilization and help one another and pull one another up. And I think uh, there's no better way than uh, to do that uh, than education. And, you know, um, I say this circling back to the discussion of uh, my parents were never afforded an education. My parents didn't have 
uh, you know, for the place they came, uh, people of the Jewish faith couldn't go beyond elementary school. And, uh, and then they, uh, you know, as I mentioned, got into an unimaginable situation. So when they came to this country, they made sure all three of their kids went to college. And I remember my father said, you know, everything can be taken away from you, Izzy, but your education can never be taken away from you. And so I think it's a, it's uh it's something we need to do as a society uh it's human dignity and so i believe that we need to invest in our schools it's uh it's uh, the most important investment we could make and you know sometimes it's tough and it may not affect your children but it may affect your grandchildren and it's something we need to do and i know um i was there when the governor spoke at the uh at the final address at mako and um you know, uh, people have different perspectives on this, and uh, I think I shared uh, my perspective pretty clearly. Well, in in the uh, elections 2008.news.baltimore.sun, uh, they, they had interviewed you. You had submitted a questionnaire like other candidates, and you talked about resources, and they asked, does Baltimore County have adequate resources to meet its needs particularly to renovate or replace aging schools? And do you support increasing the property tax or local income tax? And you wrote that you do not support increasing the property tax, nor do you support increasing local income tax. And you went on to write that Baltimore County absolutely needs additional funding to renovate or replace aging schools. And you, as you mentioned earlier, you, you're concerned about the Laney High School and that you would request the Department of Planning conduct a thorough review of all capital projects that have been dormant for more than a year. So obviously, and this is a huge, huge issue that funding for these schools have, the the funding formulas have changed. Uh, There's, there's a lot of school upgrades that need to occur. Um, But it's a strong bipartisan issue. You went on to mention at the end of your answer. So um, I think, I really think that, the organization Mako, I think you're you're probably going to hear, um, and maybe you'll have the opportunity to meet again soon, possibly what in December, um, and and another Mako conference on the Eastern Shore down in Dorchester County, um, to talk about some of these funding issues because that was the big takeaway from Mako conference is just local governments talking about their concerns about how they're going to be able to sure. put up the cash. So and they're worried about. I understand that there were uh, many members are worried about maintenance of effort laws. Of and course. I will say, at the time, we were at a severe disadvantage when we were doing questionnaires for endorsement because, um, um, and for, and uh, in interviews uh, with uh, different newspapers, because the budget had been had already been submitted and we did not know that there was an $81 million budget deficit in the in the budget that was submitted by uh, the previous administration. And so we came in the door. It was noted as a footnote uh, that, um, that there weren't sufficient revenues as they existed to address all the need. We only found that out after we walked through the door. So um, it was kind of the goalposts had been moved from what we understood the goalpost to be when we walked through the door. That's why we had to make the tough decision uh, uh, in terms of 
revenues, you know, to and they are tough decisions. No one wants to come in and uh and raise taxes, but when you walk in when you come into an environment when uh high school costs 150 million dollars and the last and and just to put in things in perspective, the last time Baltimore County did anything to address its revenue situation was in 1992, the same yeah. year Camden Yards was built. And Camden Yards at that time cost $110 million. And now um, it costs – you can't even build a high school for $110 million. It's $150 million. So things have changed. Baltimore County hasn't changed. And so we had to make some really tough decisions. And as a council member, there's really – you know, there's we really have five functions. Like any legislative body, we um, we make laws, we make legislation. But Baltimore County uh, also we review budget, and that that was the big eighty-one million dollar hurdle that we had to address. Uh, another function council members are asked to do is constituent service uh, services. I talked a little bit about that. We review contracts, which is an interesting piece because uh, at the state you have the Board of Public Works that reviews contracts. Uh, at the, in the city of Baltimore, you have the Board of Estimates that reviews contracts. Mm-hmm. There's not an equivalent body in Baltimore County, so it's the county council that has that role. And then the, the other function that we have is we have broad land use authority, and we'll be moving into that uh, actually uh, September 1st today. Uh, began the um, the what we call the CZMP or the Comprehensive Zoning Map Process. So every every four years is an opportunity to change uh, the zoning of your of the land in Baltimore County. And so we're in that cycle. We just started it today. Sure. So there's lots and lots of tough decisions that we have to make. None of them are easy. Uh, for me, I have a um, Whenever I'm asked uh, to make a tough decision, I've got uh, uh, this little test I do. I, I, if my head, my heart, and my, my gut are in sync, I go for it. If one of them is out of kilter, I pause and, and just uh, I just hit the pause button and uh, look a little further into the issue before to see if I can get my heart, my head, and my gut in sync. Well, Councilman, look, the Baltimore County has had some some tough issues, has had some tough issues to face, especially with the the sudden death of losing Kevin Cabinets during the middle of a gubernatorial election of which he was running, yes. and having uh, Don Muller having he stepped into that role pretty quickly. Uh, the former Baltimore County Superintendent of Public Schools you know, went off to jail. And uh, another official pl- pled guilty to was a tax evasion. Um, yes. So I want to I want to end on a positive note that Baltimore County, it's through it, like any jurisdiction, many like any major jurisdiction, you have your ups, you have your downs. But I see some positive work. I see a lot of positivity working in this community, um, especially amongst the council, yourself included. So I'm 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 happy to see that that the county is progressing, that you're getting your feet wet as an elected official. I know it's not easy. You, you take a lot of, you take a lot of it on the chin, but that's the role that you signed up to do. And it's constituent services. You mentioned it's about customer service. It's about how you it can is. best deliver a goods or service. 
at the best quality price at what the taxpayers are shelling out. So I really appreciate having you on to talk about some of these big issues and especially with regionalism, which is so important. And also I would encourage anyone who is listening to check out the Baltimore Sun. Um, if you Google a if you Google um, city council members or city county council members, we need regional cooperation. It's a joint it's a joint letter that you wrote alongside uh, your colleague from the city about regionalism, about working together, and that was on April 25th. And it's a letter that you wrote about uh, the importance of working together, and you address public safety and education and the environment. So, Councilman, one last thing: where can people find you? to reach out to you and your staff? Sure. Uh, so it's really easy. You can uh, reach us at council2 at baltimorecountymd.gov or call in at 410-887-3385. Okay. So, and, and then, of course, the website is baltimorecountymd.gov, and they can find you there, and you can read all about you. You can read all about the second. And I know that you're – your staff is ready to take any questions or field those concerns and answer uh, your constituent concerns. So I really appreciate this opportunity, Councilman. I really appreciate it. Thank you so having, much for inviting me to, to be on the show tonight. Um, you, you, and, and thank you for inviting me to the parade. Um, I, I hope I have the opportunity to make it over. I'm trying to expand my reach of just of getting out of the Metro DC bubble. And instead of covering really state politics, the big, the big six jurisdictions, but you um, you are welcome to come back at any time. I thought that this was a thoughtful and productive conversation, and having these having these just really free flowing conversations about ideas about policy, I think it brings it into perspective, especially with constituents who want to hear from their councilmen, who want to hear about the work that you're doing. These are so vitally important to a functioning republic, and I want to thank you again for spending an hour with me on a Sunday night. And tomorrow is officially Labor Day, and to all of your constituents who work hard, um, and to all the anybody who's listening, really, thanks for working hard on behalf of whatever that you do. Um, and take tomorrow and enjoy maybe a barbecue or a cookout or spend some time with family. Well, thank you, Ryan. I'd love to come back on your podcast and uh, have a great rest of the holiday weekend. All right, Councilman. Have a successful week, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Councilman Izzy Patoka from Baltimore County Council District 2 talked a little bit about regionalism, talked about some issues ranging from education and planning. Quite a biography. I encourage you to check the councilman out online. I said BaltimoreCountyMD.gov. Once again, Center Maryland is hosting a building equity and educational uh, equity housing and affordability conference on Tuesday, September the 10th from 12 p.m. until 3.30 p.m. at the Meeting House at 5885 Robert Oliver Place in Columbia, Maryland. And they're going to talking about housing affordability and education equity. My name is Ryan Miner. You're listening to a Minor Detail Podcast. Find me on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and a aminordetail.com. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Enjoy tomorrow and uh, be safe, happy, and healthy. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail Podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, 
or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a minor detail podcast on Facebook and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a minor detail podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at a minor detail.com. Thanks so much for listening.